Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Welcome to My Brother's Keeper. Uh, this is the first in a series of programs we'll be looking at persecution of Christians in minority Muslim, Muslim majority countries around the Middle East. Um, today we're going to have a special guest with us, uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson, who formerly was the pastor at the Resurrection Church in Izmir, Turkey. Uh, TV7 actually followed Andrew's imprisonment for two years in a Turkish prison while he was there, and uh, we'll be speaking with him today about his experiences in prison and also his view of uh, Muslim uh, persecution in Muslim-majority nations around the Middle East and how we can stand with the Christian church there. Andrew, welcome to the program today. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. Let's begin our time with prayer. Uh, this is a subject that I know is of concern to many people, not only in the Middle East, but around the world. And so let's just begin with prayer and ask the Lord to lead our conversation. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be uh, in Jerusalem, but first of all, disconnected with Andrew uh, across the, the world. And Lord, we thank you for those of TV7 and others that are following um, this subject very closely right now. And Lord, we ask that you would give us direction, that you would give us insight, that you would give us understanding, and that, Lord, most of all, you'd give us wisdom and revelation to know how we can stand with the persecuted church here in the Middle East. We thank you today for the nation of Turkey that we'll be speaking specifically about. Lord, we thank you for its history, its connection to the first church in the book of Acts, and as well to the final book in the Bible of Revelation. And Lord, we thank you for Andrew joining us today, and we ask your blessing on him, his wife, and his family. In the name of Yeshua, amen. So Andrew, first of all, thank you for, for uh, agreeing to join us today. I want to give you an opportunity to just share your experiences, uh, not only as a pastor in Turkey, but during your last year's imprisonment. We know as well that um, you, you were actually, with the help of President Trump, freed from, the, from your imprisonment and then actually met with him there in uh, the White House. Yeah, so my wife and I uh, went to Turkey. Uh, well, we were there 25 years. What I say is we were there 23 years by choice and two years by force, uh, the two years that I spent in prison. Uh, so we went to Turkey. Uh, Turkey is the largest unevangelized country in the world, so it's a good place for us to focus. Uh, most Turks have never met a Christian in their lives. Most cities in Turkey do not have any church, any missionaries, any pastors, really anybody there who, who is carrying the gospel. Uh, so it is a, spiritually, it is a very uh, dark place. As I said, largest unevangelized country. So we spent a number of years there in church planting. We were involved in uh, several church plants uh, in different cities, and started a house of prayer, uh, worked with refugees as well. Uh, and uh, really, we thought we were going to be there uh, for the rest of our lives. Uh, and then uh, we were invited into uh, the local police station. We thought we were going to pick up our uh, long-term uh, visas so that we could remain there uh, for many, many more years. And then we were shocked when we were told uh, that we were going to be deported, and that as uh, they were going to arrest us as they held us for deportation. Uh, and uh, when I heard this, I just couldn't believe it. I, I thought, God, did I do? Well, this goes to, in 2009, God had spoken to me 
Uh, I don't say that lightly. It had not happened very often, but he'd spoken to me directly and said, uh, prepare for harvest. Mm -hmm. And I really was surprised at this because I thought I, uh, I don't, I don't anticipate a harvest because we haven't been sowing for very long as, as believers in the Muslim world and especially in Turkey. But uh, God repeated it to me and basically he was saying that uh, we should have higher expectations of something happening more quickly and in a, on a much greater scale than we had anticipated and that he's going to uh, accelerate the process uh, in, in Turkey and the Muslim world. Uh, so. Uh, we then started to work, how to ask God, how do we prepare for harvest? Uh, how do we prepare for this powerful move that's coming? And that began to, it took root in my heart and really began to grow and, and dominate. So when I was told, uh, you're going to be deported, I thought, no, this, this isn't possible because we have an assignment here to prepare for harvest. We can't do that as well if we're outside of the country. Uh, and I, I began to ask God, did I do something wrong? Is it possible that I disqualified myself in some way uh, and this assignment has been removed from me? But as, as uh, my imprisonment dragged on, I realized that uh, that was not the case <laughs> uh, and that uh, God was actually using my imprisonment uh, for harvest, to prepare yep. for harvest. Excellent. Before we, I, there was a big part of this story that many of us, as uh, as we talked about, our viewers were following. Uh, TV Seven was following your imprisonment. Talk about some of the conditions that you went through while you were in prison. Some of the things you went through. You were very, uh, you were very open in the book you wrote, "God's Hostage," a story of perseverance, uh, really in a Turkish prison. Just let our viewers know what it was like for you to go into that. I know you didn't really know how long you were going to be uh, uh, detained for. Originally, you thought it might be just a short time until they deported you. But as it started to, to, to uh, the, the month started to grow on, you realized that you could be in there for a long time. And that really affected, you know, how your, your stay in the prison and the conditions that, that you were experiencing. Yeah, so uh, when we were first arrested uh, to be deported, uh, usually it will take one or two days uh, if they're going to deport an American. But that uh, ended up extending. My wife and I were held together uh, for two weeks. Uh, and then she was released. And then I was moved to another facility and was put into solitary confinement. Uh, that went on for, at that point, it went on for about 50 days. And that was very difficult for me. Uh, mm -hmm. I started to really experience a very powerful fear at that time. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, yes, I did spend two years there, but one of the very difficult things was I did not know that it would be two years. If I had, I would start counting down the days. It would be difficult, but there would be a goal I was working toward. But uh, the Turkish government wanted uh, three life sentences for me. Uh, they accused me of being a spy. Uh, there had been a coup attempt in the summer of 2016, and they accused me eventually of helping to plan that coup and of, as I said, of being a spy and then also supporting two different terror groups. And so uh, they wanted to uh, make an example of somebody. Uh, and I did not know until the day that I was released that I would be released. And I lived mm -hmm. with, uh, during that time with a great deal of uncertainty. And this, of course, is one of the real challenges when, when anybody, not just in, in, in prison for their faith, but in many circumstances, we don't know when 
our uh, difficulties will end or how they will end. And uh, learning how to uh, cling to God in the midst of that is one of the real challenges. Yeah, I and can't you remember t- the rest of the question you had, Mike. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I think you, you sort of started to touch on it, but can you explain to the viewers maybe some of the turning points that you have that you outlined in your book? You know, when, when were the times when you really started to see, hey, wait a minute, God maybe is in this imprisonment, and you realize as well people were starting around the world to gather and pray for you? Uh, yeah, so... Uh, as I said, when I went in, at, at first I thought I'd be held for sh- uh, just a few days to be deported. Then that ended up extending. I had that time in solitary and then went into uh, high security and maximum security prisons. And as my imprisonment extended, I, well, I did break in the imprisonment. This is one of the important things in my story. It's not just about brokenness because God also rebuilt me, but it's that I had maybe a romanticized idea of what persecution would be like. And um, this came from biographies and just from my own expectations. And when I uh, was put into those very difficult conditions in, in prison with, with the fear uh, and uh, the isolation and the uncertainty, the loss of hope, then this was really overwhelming to me. And... Uh, I, I broke, and uh, I broke repeatedly. Uh, I expected to have a real sense of, of grace and of strength and maybe of joy and especially a sense of God's presence. And actually, for the most of my time in prison, that sense of presence was removed, and I experienced what I would call the silence of God. Mm-hmm. And so this took me into a relational crisis with God. So I was dealing with uh, all of these uh, uh, overwhelming pressures and I did break, and then there was a rebuilding process that I can go into in a minute. You had asked about, uh, well, what, what I began to see over time is people began to pray for me. So Noreen was allowed to uh, visit me uh, sometimes, and we would speak through reinforced glass and bars and on a telephone, and uh, what I would ask her is, are people praying for me? And I just felt this this uh, desperate need uh, for for that support from believers. And what she began to tell me is there, that there was a prayer movement that was growing. Now, we be, as after I got out of uh, prison, then we, we started to put this together and we realized that, that actually uh, there was a prayer movement that spread to many, many countries around the world and to millions mm-hmm. of people. So there were millions of people who ended up praying for me. Now, mm-hmm. as we became aware of that growing prayer, uh, I began to see that God was using my imprisonment. Remember, he had given me the assignment, prepare for harvest, and I thought that had been removed. But then this prayer movement begins, and a church historian told me it was an unprecedented prayer movement focused on one person. Wow. So it was clear that this was uh, a, a supernatural thing. It wasn't just my wife, you know, uh, through her networks and the people spreading it, although that that did happen. There was something that God was doing, which was putting me on the hearts of many people. And uh, he initiated, he drove it, and he sustained this prayer movement. And so we began to see, wait, I'm, God is actually using my imprisonment uh, to raise up so much prayer around the world, and I've become a lightning rod or a magnet that is drawing this prayer in. And people are praying for me, but it's overflowing into Turkey and into this region. 
And I began to see that actually, uh, or began to think that my time in prison, God did not put me into prison, Satan did, but that God was using it and redeeming it and was actually using it to prepare for harvest so that the imprisonment was actually part of my assignment to prepare mm -hmm. for harvest. Right. Yeah, you spoke earlier about uh, Turkey itself being one of the most unevangelized nations in the world. And we know from statistics like Operation World by Patrick Johnson and other books that uh, according to the population, the number of actual believers that, are, that can be counted is quite small. Talk about a little bit about the, what happened in the prison cell, because I feel like that, that's important for people to understand. You were in a prison cell that was, uh, I think, uh, constructed for 10 people, but you had about 20 in there, and uh, it was not just 20-odd people. It was 20 specific people, I think, or 20 yeah, types so of I people. Went, I went from being in solitary, which was very, very difficult, to, uh, into a, a high-security prison, uh, and I was put in a cell that was built for eight people, and there were over 20 of us in there. And uh, so I was isolated. It was very difficult. There were a lot of pressures. I had fear, all of those things. But added to that, uh, all of the people that I was imprisoned with were accused of uh, being part of an Islamist group. Uh, so they were all uh, very committed Muslims. And uh, we, I was in this cell 24-7. Uh, the way the prison was constructed, we never leave our cell. And so this overcrowded place uh, full of uh, other men who are desperate to get out of prison, and the way to do that is to really lean into their uh, religious uh, practices. So it was 24-7 prayer, um, Islamic prayers, chanting of the Quran, uh, Quranic classes, and this, this was literally every hour of the day there was someone in that cell that was praying. Mm. So the environment for me was, was very intense and intensely lonely. Uh, and uh, some of the things that I experienced there, and I think that as, I, as I've looked back uh, over my experience, I see several areas that I was dealing with that were really overwhelming to me. There was a spiritual battle going on. And I think that in some ways of what I was experiencing, I was experiencing as a proxy for the Turkish church, as a representative of the Turkish church, that there was a significant spiritual battle going on and that I was uh, confronting some of the uh, difficulties that the Turkish church does. So one of those was overwhelming fear. Uh, I was, uh, from the time I was put into solitary confinement, I just had this uh, fear that overwhelmed me. <clears throat> And it led to uh, a lot of adrenaline being released in my body and, and hormones like cortisol being uh, um, uh, produced. And this kept me from sleeping. So I had very little wow. sleep uh, for, for months on end. I would sleep maybe three hours a day, four hours max. And uh, this wore me down. I lost about 50 pounds uh, during those early months in prison. And this... Uh, Fear also, uh, well, so it led to panic attacks, repeated panic attacks. So I'd have wave after wave uh, that had nothing to do with whether I was thinking negative thoughts or not. It was just by now a physical reaction. Uh, and that, that combination of panic with, with despair is, is very dangerous. And I did struggle with, with a, a suicide a number of times, especially in the first year. So part of that fear 
was that I would uh, slide away from my faith and eventually, uh, you know, turn toward Islam. And uh, that's uh, the issue of apostasy. And my cellmates would tell me, Andrew, you will become a Muslim. And I certainly at no point wanted to turn away from my relationship with God. But there was that fear that eventually, because of the pressures, because of the questions and doubts and the relational crisis I was having with God, that I would slide away and mm. and end up becoming something I did not want to become. So there's mm. fear and then struggling with apostasy. And another one is uh, just a suffocating feeling mm. of my relationship with God I felt was being suffocated. And uh, literally one of the main manifestations of anxiety and panic attacks is not being able to breathe. <laughs> mm. So I was experiencing it physically. Wow. And then the isolation. Uh, even obviously in solitary confinement, I'm isolated, but even in a prison cell with 20 people, I felt such intense isolation because mm -hmm. not only by isolated by language and culture, life experience, uh, but also especially by my faith. So mm -hmm. during the entire time in prison, I was the only Christian and the mm -hmm. only Christian I had any contact with was my wife on those visits that we were given. And just that intense feeling of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that Turkish believers are also struggling with. You know, Turks, many, many Turks have an interest in, in coming to, to Jesus. But there's a, there's a real fear uh, of persecution and of losing their relationships and being uh, isolated in society. Uh, apostasy. Many do profess faith. Mm -hmm. And then they fall on, away under pressure. And then there's also the suffocating in the spiritual uh, areas. Uh, in, in, my, in my case, uh, there was a propaganda campaign that the Turkish government led where they painted me in, across media. Sometimes I was the entire front page of newspapers uh, right. and also right. uh, in, on TV uh, yeah. in their programs. And relentlessly... This, this priest is a, is a traitor. He hates Turks. He wants to cut the heads off of Turks, uh, decapitate them. He uh, wants to destroy our country. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a terrorist. And so mm -hmm. all of these things that they were saying about me, which were, were untrue, uh, they were painting me as a, as a traitor and someone who hates Turks because mm -hmm. of my, my uh, work uh, starting churches and spreading the gospel. But they were also painting all of the believers in Turkey with this, That's right. uh, the entire church. And yeah. what they were doing was preparing uh, mm -hmm. so that when uh, persecution increases, then people will say, oh, these Christians deserve what they're getting. Right. Andrew, one other thing I just want to touch on before we, we, we finish, and, and there's obviously a lot to, to talk about here. Can you give us an insight about the trial? You had a, about three or four different trial dates where you appeared before a tribunal, uh, before a judge. Uh, talk a little bit about those experience, that, that experience for you personally. Well, I, I knew that it was not uh, a, a real trial. It was a real trial, but, but it was uh, uh, a political decision that would drive what would happen with me. And so... Uh, I, I made a, a decision to use my trial as, as a, an opportunity to witness. How does a Christian Excellent. deal with this kind of 
situation. So uh, one in one of the sessions, I explained the gospel, and and then I forgave uh, everyone who had testified against me, mm. uh, and tried to give an example of how I've been forgiven, and therefore I'm required to forgive, and mm-hmm. to. Uh, state clearly what a Christian believes. And mm-hmm. so I, I tried to, to present a witness in that way. Uh, one of the things that came out in my trial, uh, even though I was accused just of, of being a terrorist and a spy and all that, was uh, that they talked about uh, all of the work that we've done with refugees and in church planting and evangelism as, as Christianization and a threat to the country. And so when I look at, you know, the propaganda campaign and uh, the way that uh, Christianization or sharing the gospel was presented as, a, as an attempt to uh, destroy Turkey, we see that, you know, there are only about six to 7,000 Turks who have publicly professed faith in Jesus, uh, mm-hmm. people from a Muslim background. So right. it's this very, very small group in a huge sea of Islam, you know, close to 85 million Turks. And just a, a few thousand Muslim background believers, yet they're seen as a threat. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that this small group in some way, just by doing evangelism, is going to split the country apart mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, destroy Turkey, basically. And that's just not true, but that is a perception uh, that is being spread. Andrew, what's the focus of your work in ministry now that you've been released? I know that you're obviously, we, we showed some pictures of this, and, and many people saw the pictures of when you were released. You actually met with the president. You prayed for him. Uh, you're now in the United States, but you're still actively involved in some of these issues. Maybe just explain quickly, where, what's the focus of your time and your, your, your labor right now? So we still have a calling to the Muslim world, <laughs> and we uh, we... Before we were preparing for harvest in in Turkey, and now we've lifted our eyes to the broader, the old Turkish Empire, the old Ottoman Empire, and saying we believe God is going to work powerfully there, and we're trying to prepare for harvest in that wider area. And also one of the things that's really on my heart is to prepare believers to stand in difficult circumstances, because I think one of the the purposes God had for me in the imprisonment— allowing me to be broken again and again and then rebuilding mm-hmm. me was that I would learn perseverance again and again and at deeper levels mm. so that I could be an encouragement to, uh, let me say this, I said I, at the beginning, I said, I am, I am too weak, I can't do this, God made a mistake. And then I came to say, no, maybe God chose the right man because he wanted a weak man who in spite of his weakness would, would persevere. And in Amen. that way, be an encouragement to Amen. other weak good. people. All right. Um, how can people, just generally, um, how can people pray? This, this program, My Brother's Keeper, is about standing with, supporting the persecuted church in the Middle East. What would, be the, what would you say would be the best way, or how would you instruct people to be praying for the church, not only in Turkey under uh, an Islamic, more of an Islamic regime than it, than it was before, but also throughout the Middle East? You know the pressures now. You've experienced them firsthand. How would you instruct and how would you encourage people to be praying for believers in the Middle East today? I would pray against the spirit of fear, the spirit mm-hmm. of apostasy, against the suffocating spiritual environment mm-hmm. and uh, the spirit of isolation. Uh, 
because many many believers isolate themselves. They're afraid to meet with other believers, and I experienced that isolation yeah. in prison. And mm-hmm. many many Muslims experience that because if they uh, publicly uh, or identify with Jesus, they lose their families and they're shut out of society. And many are afraid to gather together, so they remain secret, quiet believers and then don't have the support they need. Uh, And I would ask for the opposite, the spirit of courage, the spirit of the fear of the Lord over the fear of man, a Mm -hmm. spirit of faithful perseverance, and Mm -hmm. a spirit of kingdom expansion rather than isolation of kingdom expansion. Yeah, very good. You know, um, you know this, uh, our viewers know it as well. Most of the New Covenant scriptures, or or many of them, are written in the context of either Paul's imprisonment or imprisonment of others or persecution. It's kind of, it seems to me, one of the main themes all the way through the New Covenant. Even Yeshua starts the Sermon on the Mount with these words, blessed are those who are persecuted and when you're rejected, when you're cast out. You touched on this before, but maybe just a little, a few more words about this. How would you go about preparing now people uh, in in your discipleship and in preparing people to work in the Middle East, what things would you institute that would prepare d- disciples, new disciples, to stand in a better way against these forces of of darkness and and also just of oppression when they're in the Middle East? So this is a this is a big subject, but I think it can be boiled down to uh, the most important thing and the foundation, because the foundation for everything else is intimacy with God. And uh, I remember in 2007, I began to pray uh, in a specific way, and it changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, I call it the Wave Starter Prayer, and that's the name of uh, the ministry that we've started now, Wave Starters. Uh, So the Wave Starter Prayer, I said, Father God, draw me so close to your heart that -hmm. you will be able to trust me with the authority to start waves. So we wanted to see Waves of the kingdom start in Turkey, uh, and mm. we believe the the way to do that, what God put in my heart, is to pursue His heart. Mm. And so it was, as we began to pursue intimacy with Him, to run after His heart, we, we started aligning more with His heart. This changed us, and then He was able to trust us with assignments, uh, the harvest assignment in 2009, and eventually the prison assignment. And I think as I look back, what best prepared me for the pressures that I faced of persecution were, were those many years of pursuing his heart. Mm-hmm. And Excellent. what happened is that uh, when I, God knew that I was going to break. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. He knew that I was, uh, that under these pressures, I would have a very hard time and go right up to the point of failure. But he also knew that because of those years of pursuing his heart, that I would not turn away from him, that under even at my worst time, I would turn to him and not away, so mm-hmm. he could trust me that I would remain faithful to him. So I believe the best way to prepare uh, for difficulties is to prepare the heart. And in the mm-hmm. West, we have been very good at theological training, uh, right. and we export this, but mm-hmm. we have neglected the training of the heart, I think. Yeah. Andrew, we're just about to close, but I'd like you to pray together with our viewers for the church in the Middle East at this time. You've gone through something. You understand the pressures. Lead us in prayer for the church in the Middle East. They'll be able to stand, but not only stand, but be a light for the rest of the people in the Middle East, especially in the, even though they're a minority in the midst of a majority. Uh, so, Father, I 
I pray for for your sons and daughters uh, scattered throughout Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. And I ask that you strengthen them and give them your presence mm -hmm. and give them perseverance. Mm -hmm. I ask that, yes, they be, they be children of light in the darkness and that your kingdom grow in those places. And I want to pray for them what I prayed for myself so many times in prison and for my family, Lord. Mm -hmm. Father God, pour out on your sons and daughters the mm -hmm. courage, the strength, the confidence, the hope, the perseverance, the endurance, and steadfastness of Jesus. Pour out the Spirit mm -hmm. of Jesus, the fullness of the Spirit of Jesus on your sons and daughters, that we may run the race set before us and finish well, a beautiful bride, purified in the fires of faithful obedience, tested and found worthy of her beloved, of Jesus, the King of glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew, for being with us today. And thank you, uh, TV7, for hosting this program, My Brother's Keeper. Look forward to seeing you again. Be praying for the church. Be standing with the church in the Middle East. These are very important days. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.